The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Let's open our Bibles now, shall we, to the book of Colossians. Uh, We are in Colossians chapter 4. Turn with me to Colossians 4. It's on page 985. If you need a Bible that's in the rack in front of you, do grab one there and turn with me. Uh, By my best estimation, we are in our uh, final three sermons in the book of Colossians, uh, in our 26th uh, sermon this morning, but with just uh, this one and then two more to conclude the book that we've been spending time in uh, this year. Uh, If you take an advanced peek at the newsletter, you'll see the plan upcoming for where we're headed after Colossians, but for now the Lord has us here in Colossians 4, specifically at verses 2 through 4, as we uh, are drawing uh, to an end in our time in the book of Colossians. But let me just remind you, as, uh, as you've gone there, about what Colossians is all about. Remember that Colossian church is a new church, a small church, uh, in a relatively out-of-the-way location. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Colossians is that he is helping to locate the Colossian Christians in the grand scheme of what God is doing through Christ as he brings the kingdom of heaven to earth, so that this small church in an out-of-the-way place might locate themselves within the cosmic purposes of what God is doing in redeeming all things through Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes the book of Colossians to help the Colossian Christians locate themselves within that glorious kingdom. And he wants those Christian believers to understand their lives. For you to understand your life as a Christian believer within that great cosmic purpose of God through Christ redeeming all things to understand that you are a part of that how christ is transforming your life and then not only you as an individual but then how you as an individual are part of the church and how god is working through the church to bring about that cosmic redemption of all things through jesus christ as the church lives as a witness in the midst of a world bearing light speaking truth demonstrating love So God is at work in the world in your life individually as a Christian. As Christ transforms your life, he gathers you together with other Christian believers so that your corporate witness as a church is like an embassy or an outpost for the kingdom of God in the wilderness of this world to bear the reality that Christ is king. That's what Paul is doing in the book of Colossians. He is encouraging the Christians and to live as individual Christian believers and together as corporate Christian witness. So what we've seen then is Paul explaining all of that reality of who Christ is and what he has done. Specifically in chapter 3, he has been emphasizing Christian living and what it looks like for you to live as an individual Christian believer. And here at the close in chapter 4, he makes a transition from individual and family application to the implications of the church bearing witness to the truth of the gospel in the world. So where chapter 3 was focused on the application of the gospel to your individual life as a Christian, chapter 4 is focused on the corporate witness of the church to the world as we live as Christians together. So, or another way of saying it, Paul is speaking about here how the word gets into the world. How the word goes to the world and goes out into the world from the church. So we're going to see this really in two ways. First of all, this week, uh, Paul is going to speak of prayer being the means of the word going out into the world. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll see 
how that going out into the world is witness. So there is both prayer and witness as the word goes out into the world. This week it's prayer. Next week it's witness. But that's what Paul is doing here at the conclusion of the book of Colossians, saying how the word goes out into the world. So uh, with that, uh, something of an introduction to kind of what your power and prepare you for what we're about to hear. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the scriptures and then hear it together. Gracious God, and we pause now in the midst of our service that we are offering to you that we, we hope is a delight to you in heaven. We pray now that you would give to us an extra portion of your Holy Spirit that we might read, mark, and learn and inwardly receive the truth that you have given to us here in your Holy Word. Father, you did not speak your word to your people to confuse us or to lead us astray, but rather that we might be illuminated and transformed and be sincere followers of Jesus. And so help us both as individuals, but then also, Lord, help us corporately as a church to believe the word that you give to us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, hear the word of God from Colossians Chapter 4 at verse 2, under the heading, Further Instructions, Colossians 2, verse uh, 4, verse 2 through verse 4. This is the Word of God. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, that the Word of God abides forever. I do keep your Bible open. We're looking here as Paul is giving these concluding further instructions uh, to the church. We're thinking about prayer this morning, and we're thinking it just under two headings, so just two points this morning. The first is on prayer, and then secondly is prayer's priorities. So... Uh, you might be tempted to think that when you hear a sermon on prayer, your mind immediately goes to something of this looming sense of burden or guilt about praying or not praying enough or not praying well. I want you to know that's not what this text is about, and so it's definitely not what this sermon is about. Paul is here talking to these Colossian Christians to say, loved ones, the word is dwelling in you. And the word has to go from you beyond the walls of the church out into the world. So remind yourself of a few things. Look back in chapter 2, verse 6, when in chapter 2, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, you know, Christian believer, you're called to walk. You're called to live your life. You're called to live out a sincere Christian witness and to walk in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. He says, you were taught this. You are called to walk out your faith in Jesus Christ. Because as you learn to walk, one of the beautiful things that happens among you as an individual and as the church gathers together, if you look at chapter 3, verse 16, remember when he says, chapter 3, verse 16, the word of Christ is dwelling in you, richly, among you as a church. So Paul says to the individual Christian, you're called to walk in him. You're called to live your Christian life in sincerity. And as you live your Christian life in sincerity, together with other people, the word of Christ is dwelling richly among you. 
It's dwelling richly in you. It's dwelling richly among you corporately as a people. The Word is here. The Word of God is here in the church, Paul says. You're following Christ. It's dwelling richly in you. Corporately, you're following Christ together. It's dwelling richly among us. But Paul is saying here, it can't just stay here, is what Paul is talking about here in this concluding instructions section. It can't just stay within the walls of this church. The command to follow Christ, the command to know Christ and be obedient to Christ, and the command to let the word of Christ dwell richly, it can't just stay here. It's got to get beyond the walls of the church out into the world, and it happens by way of prayer. So Paul is talking about prayer today. So first of all, he speaks of prayer, and then secondly, he speaks of uh, the priorities of prayer. So prayer and prayer's priorities are the two points this morning. So first of all, let, let's see on prayer that Paul is calling the church to pray. Look again at verse 2. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, that is, in the prayer with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly also means devote yourself to or commit to praying. So let's think just generally for a moment about prayer and how God has ordained, planned, and purposed prayer to be the means of accomplishing the work that he is doing in the world. Now, if you read Paul's letters throughout the New Testament, you will find Paul placing a major emphasis on the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the purposes of God to both plan and execute his plan to ordain all things to his glory. God in his sovereign grace is executing his sovereign purposes. He has ordained the outcome. But the Bible says that God has also ordained the means of accomplishing that outcome. Or another way of saying it is that God has ordained that his gospel would go out into the world, into the nation, and into our neighborhoods. But the question to ask is, the means of that gospel getting there, how's it going to happen? Paul says that the means of the gospel going out into the world and into the nation and the neighborhood is prayer. That's what Paul is saying here in this text. That God has ordained that the way the gospel goes out in the world is in God's responding to the church's faithful praying. So Paul is saying, pray. And continue steadfastly in prayer so that the word will go out into the world. Now you might... You might Something of a head-scratcher, isn't it? God in His sovereign purposes ordains all things, and He ordains the means, the instrumentality of accomplishing it. And God has chosen that the way it's going to happen is through your praying. Our praying. Why? Why, why is that primarily the way? Well, have you ever found yourself in a, in a helpless place or in a, a, a sorrowful place or in a place of great anxiety or fear and you're not sure what to do and there's that impulse in you by the Holy Spirit that turns to the Lord in prayer right when you're faced with a scenario Lord help I'm beyond myself and my resources I don't know how I'm going to do this 
I don't know how this is going to get done. Lord, would you do it? Lord, would you help? We're going to trust you and believe because you call us to obey. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we believe, Lord, would you help? It's, it's that kind of prayer that's lifted up like Psalm verse 50, verse 15, that says this. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Because prayer is the means by which we express our helplessness, our neediness. The fact that we are at the Lord's will for the resources to accomplish His purposes. So He says, call on me. Remember what Jesus says? You don't have it because you don't ask. God says, ask, and I will give it to you. And when I give it to you, you will be reminded that I am your God. You will be reminded that the resources to accomplish my will in your life don't come from you, they come from me. So that you see that all of your life is lived under my grace by the supply of my resources and kindness and faithfulness. Call on me and I will answer in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. So what Paul is saying to the church is pray. Pray because God has ordained that prayer is the way he intends to bring growth what kind of growth? He intends to bring your personal spiritual growth through prayer. He intends for the church to grow through prayer. He intends for the gospel to have a witness in the world through prayer. But it comes by way of prayer. So Paul says, continue steadfastly with devotion, with watchful thanksgiving in prayer. Paul is serious about prayer because God is serious. He has ordained that the means of accomplishing his kingdom purposes is through the church's faithful praying. So Paul says, pray church, pray, devote yourself to it. So pray, but then for what? And how and in, and in what way, right? I think everyone understands that there is this basic Christian impulse that we should pray, but we oftentimes kind of miss when we say, but I, how and I don't know what to say or, or how to ask it or what it should look like. I know I should pray, but I'm not sure, and what should it look like? So we've established prayer is important, of course, and prayer is God's means of accomplishing uh, His will, of getting the Word out into the world, but what should it look like? What should prayer's priorities look like? Well, Paul says, then secondly, in verses 3 and 4, notice what he says after verse 2. In verse 3, he says, at the same time as you pray, pray also for us, that God may Open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul is talking here about priorities in prayer, or another way of saying it is, what should the church be praying for and how should the church be praying? And he addresses that here. I want you to notice how much Paul focuses his request for prayer on his ministry of the gospel. Pay attention to that. His focus on the request is on ministry. So, yes, we should pray for the sick, right? We should do that. We should pray for guidance. We should pray for, for God to teach us and for us to grow. You should pray for your daily bread as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, we should pray for that and we should pray for forgiveness and grace. We should pray for all of those things and all of those things are important and we shouldn't neglect it. But notice how Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us. 
And notice the circumstances that he's in as he writes. He's in prison. There in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, which I am now in prison. Uh, Paul writes a majority of his letters. That's why they're called prison epistles, prison letters, from imprisonment. And you'll notice that as he's in prison, his ministry has landed in a difficult set of circumstances. He's suffering for Christ. He's suffering for Jesus' name. And he prays for them, the Christian believers, to pray for him and his ministry. And he could have said, pray that I would be released. Right? He could have said, pray that I be released from bondage. Or pray that I would be delivered from suffering. Or pray that I would be, uh, these false claims against me would be overturned and I would be given liberty. But instead of praying for those things, he says, pray for the progress of the gospel. Pray for the progress of the gospel. And I think that's really instructive. And I think that you and I need to pay attention to this because it's oftentimes our first impulse. That if somebody were to say, how can I pray for you? Or if I were to pray for you, what should I pray for? Our first impulse is... Usually something physical, perhaps, or emotional, a difficult trial in our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that, but our mind immediately goes to things needful to make life maybe a little bit less difficult or burdensome, health issues, personal struggles. Again, there's a place for that, and I'm not saying that it's wrong. It's a joy to pray for one another and our physical needs. That's good and right and faithful. But I want us to see that there's a balance to this as Paul speaks of calling the church to prayer primarily for the sake of the ministry of the gospel. Now, one time I was visiting somebody in the hospital, not a church member, just a community member who was not in any respects known for being a Christian believer. Uh, but I remember going and praying for this person, praying for their health. Yes, for sure, they had physical needs. But I also remember a, an important part of that is praying that this physical struggle uh, would reveal to them a need for a deeper healing. Because the things that we need in our lives, they're more than just physical and more than just mental or emotional. We have deep spiritual needs. And Paul is emphasizing the important spiritual needs of gospel advance as the church prays, right? Because, look, you can rehab a knee surgery and it's important to pray for good recovery from a knee surgeries or back surgeries or other things that we need, but it doesn't do you ultimately any good to be orthopedically patched up and miss heaven, does it? So yes, we should pray for those things. It's good and right and faithful that we should pray for those things. It's a delight and obedience and a joy to pray for those things. But Paul says, as you pray, make sure you have a, an order of operations and an understanding that the advance of the kingdom and the advance of the gospel is something of a priority for the church as it prays. Do you know what that should begin to do for you? Just very quickly, as you think about your individual needs, your individual physical needs are opportunities to advance the kingdom. They are definitely opportunities for the kingdom to be advanced in your life as you perhaps undergo hardships and suffer and need to bear witness to the world about what you value most. So, Paul is emphasizing this. He is emphasizing the need to pray for the advancement of the kingdom. So yes, we should pray for health and wholeness and we should pray for our community and pray for our neighbors. But church... The Apostle Paul is saying, pray for the word to go into the world through the church. 
So notice the specifics here. Just three particular things as he says, here are some specifics about how to pray or how to think about praying about the word going out into the world as we live as a faithful Christian church, hopefully to bear witness to the world. First of all, there is gospel opportunity, right? Paul says there that God may open to us a door for the word in verse 3. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. In other words, to get the word of God out so that it would go forth, so that it would be sent out. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and active. It's very interesting that in the Bible, oftentimes the Word of God, the Scriptures, are personified as an active agent. Paul says, let the Word out. Let the Word out and let it get to work. Let it do its thing as the Word multiplies and prevails and is pronounced and transforms. The Word of God needs to be let out. And Paul says, pray that we would have an open door for the Word. There is such an emphasis here on the Scriptures. Paul is saying, don't just open a door for me to speak about myself. Let the Word have an open door so that the Word can go forth. The Word of God. Gospel opportunity that the Word might have an open door. Pray for an open door, Paul says. Pray for opportunity for the Gospel. What does that look like? Praying for opportunity? Lord, today, would you allow me to come across somebody that is needful of a word of hope, <laughs> needful of a word of grace, and Lord, let me have the strength and the courage to be the one to go through the door and bring the word to that person. Gospel opportunity that God may open a door for the word first. Secondly, he says, gospel content. Still in verse 3, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word and to declare the mystery of Christ. To declare the mystery of Christ. Paul wants the church to be praying for the opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ, to get to the truth of the gospel, to get to the substance of Christ. Now, when he says mystery, don't trip over that word. He means mystery in the same sense that when he uses it in chapter 1, verse 26. If you look back in chapter 1, uh, verse 26 and 27, he speaks of the mystery that was once hidden, now revealed. Colossians 1.26 says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So when he uses the word mystery in chapter 4, he doesn't mean things you can't possibly know. He means things once hidden, now revealed, that need to be known. The fullness of the mystery of Christ used to be veiled, used to be a shadow. But now that Christ has come, the substances is revealed and the mystery and the revelation has been declared in such a way that Christ can be known and the gospel can be believed. And Paul says, I want to declare the mystery of Christ. He wants to talk about Jesus. He wants to get to the point to talk about Jesus with people. You ever tried this? Maybe... Like in a real moment of boldness, especially if you're someone who says, you know, I'm not normally this person, but 
there was this one occasion that I really said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak. I'm going to say something. I'm going to speak about the name of Jesus to the person in the waiting room with me or the person at the library or the person, my coworker, whatever the case, the kid on my sports team. I am going to be courageous and speak up and speak the name of Jesus to my friend. And then they start berating you maybe. And they want to say, oh yeah, but what about the age of the earth? And they want to say, oh yeah, but what about the fossil record? And they say, oh yeah, but did Adam have a belly button or not? And you say, I just, I just wanted to talk to you about Jesus. Some of you never wondered about Adam's belly button before, have you? Right? Uh, and you say to yourself, I just want to, I want to declare Christ. I want to speak about Jesus. And people want to take me over here and over there. And I just want to get to the point. And Paul says... You know, there's a place for all of that. We want to get to the content of who Christ is and what he has done and why he so deeply matters. Because people don't know. You realize that, don't you? Some of us have a really hard time stomaching this reality that you have neighbors, friends, coworkers, fellow people on your sports team that don't know a thing thing about Jesus. Not a thing. And, and you perhaps maybe take it for granted. Paul says, I want to declare the mystery of Christ so that what was once hidden might be known in fullness. He says, pray for us so that we would have gospel content to declare the mystery of Christ. Gospel opportunity, gospel content, and then thirdly, he also speaks about gospel clarity. There in verse 4, pick up verse 3, he says, Same time, pray for us, that God may open to us a door. Secondly, to declare the mystery of Christ. And fourth, that I may speak, thirdly, in verse 4, that I may speak and make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul is speaking here about gospel clarity. We should be praying for gospel clarity, that I may make it clear. Now, you might believe genuinely that that you are clear in your mind about a subject. You might say to yourself, I get this. I understand it. It makes sense to me. But do you want to know the best way to find out how much something is actually clear to you? Explain it to somebody else. Or teach it. The best way to know whether or not you clearly understand something is how effectively you can communicate it. It's one thing to know it in your mind, but if you try to teach it to somebody else and it's clear as mud to them, it might be because it's not so clear to you. So Paul says, when I speak, I want to be clear, real clarity, with content and clarity of content that is easily digestible. So what this looks like, Paul says, when you pray and pray for opportunities for the word to go out into the world, yes, you're looking for opportunity. Yes, you're looking to bring content. But with the opportunity and content, you have to bring clarity. Because there's a difference between me watering flowers with drip irrigation or my 3,000 PSI power washer. So... If you have opportunity to speak to somebody and you have the opportunity to speak about Jesus and you're excited and you want to crank on the trigger of your 3,000 PSI power washer and tell them everything in the world that they need to know at one moment, you know what you're probably going to do? That person's going to go, I don't have a clue what you're talking about and I'm so overwhelmed that I never want to talk to you again. 
It's too much. Do you know it's a beautiful thing, actually, to just drip feed? Just drip feed. The roots soak up better that way. You know that. You can blast the fire hose at a plant, get it good and soaked, but it's not going to do it hardly any good compared to a drip feed. So what you should do is pray for an open door for the word, and when it comes, speak of the mystery of Christ and then drip a little bit. Speak of Christ and then go back and pray some more. Pray for a door to be opened again and then drip feed some more and keep at it and drip, drip, drip until the gospel begins to seep in and simplicity and accuracy make way for clarity. And Paul recognizes that if he's going to have the opportunity, he's got to make sure the content is there and he is clear with it. And Paul says, church, pray for the word to go out into the world with opportunity and good content and clarity. He ties the focus of the kingdom to these prayer requests. Says, church, pray for this. So we should be asking, what, what does it look like to faithfully obey the apostles' commands for the church to pray, for the word to go out into the world with gospel opportunity and gospel witness and content and clarity? This begins to be something of a filter for how we should think about what we're doing here. To think about the activities that we're about and the investments that we make and how we undertake all that we do as a church. Because, again, Paul is assuming that the word is dwelling richly in the church and it doesn't just stay in the church. It has to go out from the church. So how do we do it? Well, we're trying to ask that question and be effective about it. What does it look like to undertake children's ministry and youth ministry and women's ministry? And, Lord willing, we're excited coming up this year, some men's ministry in such a way so that the word dwells richly among us and goes forth from us with gospel opportunity, gospel content, and gospel clarity. You understand that the stuff that we do as a church, the activities and the opportunities is, is not just some form of a Christian country club for you to come and hang out, right? We're on a mission here, right? We're trying to do something in our community. We're trying to let the Word of God dwell richly in us and go out from us into the world as it bears witness so that we as a church are an embassy for the kingdom. And Paul says, pray for that. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to pray for your church. I'm going to ask you to pray for your church. Make that something of a habit for you. To think about the things that we announce, right, are not just like a roster of activities for you to come to or not, maybe or maybe not, stuff to do on the calendar. They're engagements. They're mission opportunities. They're kingdom opportunities. And I want you to think of them as such. So pray for the opportunity of children's ministry and pray for the opportunity of youth ministry and pray for the women's ministry and pray for men's ministry as gospel opportunities to bear gospel witness so that the church is an embassy for the kingdom and not just some Christian country club. That's not why we're here. We're here to take the word out into the world and to equip one another so that we both corporately do it and you can grow in your confidence to individually do it as well. To pray for open doors and bring gospel content and gospel clarity to the people who need it in your life. Because you've got them, and so do I. And we're walking this road together. Paul says, take the word into the world and do it for Christ's sake. So, dear friends, let us do so faithfully 
And Lord willing, next week we'll hear more about what that looks like. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you give to us your word, not for the purposes of just keeping it to ourselves, but that we might bring that glorious word of hope that is found in Jesus' name to those who are weary and sorrowful, wounded, and in need of grace. Uh, We remember, many of us, what it looks like to be without hope. And so we pray that you would give to us open doors for the word, that we might be, through our praying, the instrument of bringing the gospel to others. Lord, would you bless that ministry here in our church and in our individual lives, we ask it, that Jesus might be glorified, we pray, in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.